How's everybody feeling? Everybody doing okay? Losing that uh, extra hour of sleep that you get back in the fall? Let's stand up. We'll pray. Man, uh, I want to thank the worship team for just doing an incredible job for us. They're not in here. They're all getting refreshments, apparently. But if you see them, be sure to encourage them. And always want to thank our sound team. And Roger and Greg's been wearing two hats. He's been playing the drums and running the YouTube videos for us. And we just appreciate you guys so much. Appreciate all you do for us. So, yeah, give them a hand. Just let them know how much we appreciate them. All right. So, Lord, we thank you for opening our hearts today. I pray that you will open my heart and my mouth, that you'll anoint me and help me to speak words of truth. And we just submit ourselves, we lay down our traditions, our ideas, and we come as little children wanting to learn at your feet. And so we give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Once again, we thank the angels for their ministry to us today. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Oh, I need this. (laughs) I won't know where I'm going. We've been talking about Christ from a little bit different perspective. Uh, I want to get into uh, some stuff today. I'm going to be drawing a lot from Jewish tradition, uh, ancient Jewish mystical tradition specifically, as opposed to the rabbinic tradition, which is more of the legalism side of things. And uh, I hope this will bless you, but... One of the things that's become apparent to me, and I'm not, <clears throat> this is not a criticism, and it's going to sound like it, but understand, I mean, I've been doing this myself, so if I'm criticizing anybody, I'm criticizing myself. Um, but a lot of what we hear in church is what we're supposed to do, what we're, what we're supposed to live. There's very little really solid, grounded teaching that you that's simple to apply on how to live. So I want to focus really, I want to draw your attention to some things. I don't want this just to be an intellectual exercise, in other words. I want to be able to put something in your hands that you can take home, something that you can think about, something that will resonate with you. You'll, you'll recognize times when you did this and times when you didn't do this. You'll understand uh, a lot of different things. I think it'll clear up some things about the mystical pathway and union with God and how we're supposed to live out of who we are in Christ. And so I'm looking forward to sharing this with you. So let's start in Ephesians chapter 3. And I'll just read it from up here. Paul, writing here obviously, he says, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, watch this again, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, Everybody could find salvation and make their way to heaven. Oh, well, that was the old evangelical Bible. Look at this. Look at what his intent is. 
that the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Where is that? Like, it seems to me almost the church has missed the entire intention of God because we have no clue what that even means. But, it says, according to His eternal purpose, that He accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in Him and through faith in Him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are for your glory. Now, notice... It's in Christ that we approach God with freedom and confidence. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. This is what I want to focus on. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people. To grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know that love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to all the measure of the fullness of God. That's incredible. (laughs) I mean, that's just absolutely incredible. But look what he says here. He says that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That Christ may dwell in your hearts faith, not in your head, not in your belly, in your hearts, which means you have a geographic location where you find Christ's dwelling presence with you at all times in your body. There's a geography to it. If I say, I'm going to meet you at a certain place, and you don't go to the right geographical location, we will never meet. It does not say Christ will dwell in your mind, Christ will dwell in your head, Christ will dwell in your song. It says Christ will dwell in your heart. Now the first thing we have to get straight is, he's not talking about Jesus the person. He's not talking about a human being because it's absolutely impossible for another human being to dwell in your heart. We say it sentimentally, someone passes away, they're going to live in our heart, and by that we mean the memories, the spirit, the the energy, the connection, whatever that we feel. But the literal human being does not come to live inside of us. Or or you're possessed. I'm just saying. I mean, you get it? So, So he's talking about something that's much bigger than Jesus the person. Jesus was the human manifestation and representation of God incarnate. God manifested in the flesh. Right? So, in other words, when you look at Jesus, this is what a human being looks like when God is fully manifested in the light of God or the light of Christ. Because Christ is the all-pervasive creative presence of God. Through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. And in him all things exist, and in him all things cohere. Including you. (laughs) Right? So Christ is in you. So Jesus is the, is, is, is that in the flesh, or it's, it's the Christ manifested in a human being to show you what a human being looks like fully when the Christ is fully manifested through the human being. 
So let's start in the beginning. Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. I want to show you something. I want to talk about you as a human being. Because if you're going to know how to live, you've got to know how to live as a human being. <laughs> right? I mean, that's like square one. I mean, that's like, the, that's like the first thing. What does it mean to be a human being? How do I live as a human being? Right? And this is where scripture can help us. It can inspire us. It can give us meaning. It it can impart truth to us. It it, it can connect with something for us right now. It's not meant to be read. I did this in the first service. You you might want to get it. It's it's on our Facebook page, I think, or something. But um, it's not meant to be read historically, per se, to let you know how everything came about. It's, it's, It's to impart meaning to you right now. If it's inspired by God, it's breathed by God, and you've got to let the breath of God touch you and set you free right now, right? And so, so I want to show you something about this. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So the entire cosmos, the entire universe, right? Everything that exists outside our heart. Everything that exists in a way to say other than us. Right? And look what he says. He says, the earth was formless and empty. Everybody say with me, formless, formless. and empty. No form, no presence, right? And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And you know in the next part, God says, let there be lights, and and uh, light was, and all that, right? You, you know that, right? Okay, but you've got earth, formless, void, and the Spirit of God. And the word for spirit there is the same word that's tied to wind or air or breath, it's ruach in the Hebrew. Now watch what God does when he creates humanity in Genesis 2-7. The Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground, or literally from the dust of the earth, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Here's what you're supposed to see. What God did over the universe that was without form and void What he did was he gave it form and he gave it habitation, inhabitants, right? Right. Now God comes to the human being who is in the earth but is without form and void. So he hovers over the earth, picks up some dust, forms man from the earth, and then winds into him or spirits into him or breathes into him the breath of life and man became a living soul. It says living being there, but it's soul. So I want to talk about your soul for a minute. Y'all recognize you have a soul, right? <clears throat> Did you know you have two souls according to the Hebrew scriptures? Because there are two different Hebrew words that both get translated as soul. But when you read it as a Hebrew, you don't see the same word. And so the ancient teachings, some of the secret teachings of the Jewish people, was that you had a higher soul, which is called the Nesama. Everybody say with me, Nesama. And you have a lower soul, which is called the nefesh. Everybody say with me, nefesh. 
So you have the nesama and you have the nefesh. So here's how this works. When it says he breathed into man the breath of life, the word for breath that went into man, that went into this statue of clay, let's do it that way. He makes a statue of clay from the earth, and then he puts something in him. And the Hebrew word for breath, the, he breathed in him the breath of life. The word for breath there is nesama. And the nesama, according to Jewish tradition, is the higher self, the higher soul, the divine soul, or what I've been referring to over and over again as the divine spark that's within you. So God breathed into this clay, <laughs> the Nesama, and he became a living Nefesh. Now it's interesting in the Hebrew because it says he, he breathed into him the Nesama of Chai, life, the Nesama of life, Chai, in the Hebrew. He breathed into him the soul, the higher soul of life. And man became a Chai Nefesh. So he breathed into him the Chai, the Chai of the Nesama, and he became a Chai Nefesh. Very important. Because the word nefesh is used to represent the lower nature soul that man has in common with animals. So here's what God did. In the beginning, you have spirit and matter. You have the spirit hovering over what? The earth, the water, right? Formless and void matter, but you, you have spirit and matter, but they're separate, they're, they're, they're divided. Right? And then you see God framing out everything that's material. There's no mention of the creation of the angels or the spiritual realms or the divine realms or the invisible. It's all the material things. And then what God wants to do is He wants to create a being who brings spirit and matter together. Or what he wants to do is he wants to create a microcosm of what he just created. So you could say it this way, the universe and spirit is the macrocosm and man is the microcosm. Which means whatever's in the macrocosm is in the microcosm and whatever's in the microcosm is in the macrocosm. Whatever's in the universe is in the human, and whatever's in the human is in the universe. If you understand the universe, you understand yourself. If you understand yourself, you can unlock all the mysteries of the universe, which is why Paul could say all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge were hidden in Christ. You see it? Which means he had to, you had to have an animal self and a physical self to join you not just to this physical environment, but to the lower realms as well. And you needed a soul, a consciousness, a personality in order to function in that realm. 
But you contain the image of God. Let us make man, let us make humanity in our image and after our likeness. So therefore you also needed the higher soul. You needed the, nes- the nesama to give you a consciousness and a connection and a... Hmm, agreement, a symphony, a harmony, if you will, with the invisible divine realms. So you have a conscious, you have a soul that's in harmony and similarity, just like a key is similar to the lock, it has to fit the lock in order to turn it. So you could look at the lock as the spiritual dimensions. God put the key of the Nesema in you to unlock for you in your consciousness the fullness of the spiritual dimensions. But you also had another lock that needed to be opened, which was the realm of the animals and the lower nature and the physical nature and all that stuff. Which is why man's ultimate responsibility was to bring the government of heaven to the earth. He's the great unifier. She is the great unifier and joiner together of all things. Which is why you've heard me say this before, but some of you have never heard it. There is a mystery in the Bible when God says on the first day he saw, he said, he saw, and it was good. The light, right? On the second day, two being the number for division and separation. The one becoming two. He divides the heavens from the earth. And he does not say it's good on the second day. There's no good. Every other day, he creates something, he looks at it and he says it's good. Third day, he creates, looks at it, says it's good. Fourth day, he creates, looks at it, says it's good. Fifth day, he creates, looks at it, says it's good. Six, which the Bible tells us is the number of man he creates. Humanity in his own image and his own likeness. And then it says, God looked around at everything that he created and he said, and behold, it was very good. But again, in the Hebrew, it's not very good. It's the Hebrew word tov, which means good. And it's simply two toves. Tov, tov. So there's actually six goods. You just don't have the good on the second day. Why? Because God's hiding the purpose for human, for humanity. Because when he divided the heavens from the earth, It was not good because he needed something to be the unifier of the two realms, if you will, of the two dimensions. So when he creates man on the sixth day, man comes along as being both animal and spirit, as being both matter and divine. Therefore, becomes the great unifier of all things. Therefore, the good that God hid in the second day, He inserts in the sixth day and says, Now, I can take the good that I left out on the second day and I can add it here. So man is good and it's good because now that which has been divided can be unified in the human being. And only in the human being. And only in the human being. If you read on further in the story, it says that no rain had come on the earth because there was no human to till the ground. What you may not know is, <laughs> oh, it's so beautiful, the Hebrew language. You, you understand the word for ground is Adama. Adama. And the word for human, Adam is not a proper name, it's the, it's the word for human. 
So God took the dust of the Adama to create Adam. And there was no Adam to till the Adama. So therefore the heavens couldn't open up and release what they had. Because the unifier was not present. But now here's the really cool thing. The word for till there is the word for worship. The heavens could not open until there was a human being there. And the word worship simply means to serve. Who was there to serve the Adama. How? By being the great unifier of all things in heaven and on earth. Are you breathing? (laughs) Now, just to prove my point, Genesis 121, so God created the great creatures of the sea and every living thing with which the water teems and moves about in it according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind and God saw that it was good. Living thing there is nefesh. So when Adam became a living nefesh, specifically, he's sharing the life and the nature of the animals. So here's, if I could do spiritual anatomy. I want to give you a spiritual anatomy lesson today. Can we do that? Because if you're going to understand how to live, you've got to understand your spiritual anatomy. So... From a Hebrew perspective, from a Christian perspective, since Watchman Nee, Christians have taught in our circles somewhat spirit, soul, and body. You are a spirit, you have a soul, you live in the body. But that's not in the Bible. That's just something somebody came up with. From a Hebraic perspective, spirit is the high. It's, it's the breath because spirit means breath. It's the same word. It's the wind. It's the wind of high that joins the nesama to the nefesh. So that the two function in harmony and you can ascend and descend in consciousness in harmony by the spirit. It has nothing to do with who you are. So to give you an example, think about a trumpet. Think about a trumpet. In order to get a sound out of a trumpet, what do you have to do? (laughs) You have to blow in it, but there's two ends. If it just had one end, it wouldn't work, right? So you have one end, and you have the other end, right? And there has to be a way for the wind to flow through, to blast through both. If it's plugged, if it can't get past the mouthpiece, you're not going to get a sound out of the trumpet. But if you don't have the mouthpiece, you can't formulate the sound. So one end is the nesama, the higher soul. The other end of the trumpet is the nefesh, the lower end of the soul. And the spirit is the breath of chai that blows through it that causes the sound of your life to resonate. So when Adam fell, the problem was he lost connection with the nesama. What what fell was his consciousness. His consciousness fell into a singularity consciousness 
of physical matter and his own animal nature. Which is why the next story in the Bible is Cain acting like an animal and killing Abel. See, Abel was able to tame the living creature, the living thing, the nefesh. And he took the nefesh and he offered it to God. But Cain was locked in the ground and didn't know how to offer the nefesh. And so when God looked into Abel, he saw alignment and he was pleased. When he looked into Cain, he saw a downcast face. Face has a downcast face. Cain, why are you so downcast? Why is your consciousness dominated by the animal material realm? And he proved it by acting like an animal and killing his brother and then operating from a place solely of self-preservation. God, if anybody finds me, they'll kill me. Now, here's our problem. This doesn't seem relevant, but stay with me. Let's just read this, all right? Some of our problem is our translations. Test me, Lord, and try me. Examine my heart and my mind. Think about what that verse means to you when you read it that way. Lamentations 2.11. My eyes fail from weeping. I'm in torment within... My heart is poured out on the ground because my people are destroyed, because the children's and infants faint in the streets of the city. Let me back up. Well, okay. Here's our problem. In the Hebrew, when it says, Lord, when we looked at the word for mind, it's the word for your kidneys. When we look at the word for within, it's your bowels. And when we looked at the word for heart, it's your liver. So it's not your heart or your mind. It's everything below that. Now, why would the Hebrews... Now, see, this is where our, our, as moderns we get in trouble. We think, oh, those, those dumb ancient people, they just didn't know, you know, that, um, that you don't have thought in your liver. That was just a word they used. But what they really meant was the mind because we know everything operates in the brain. So they try to help you out by mistranslating. Let me ask you something. How many of you ever got nervous because you had to do something? Where'd you feel it? Thank you. How many of you ever got bad news? And you felt... How many of you ever got scared and you felt something here? That stuff's not coming. You're not experiencing it up here. Gosh, I'm just so nervous that I have a I mean, you might have a headache, but if you're in your body, you know, we know 
Butterflies in my stomach. I got punched in the gut. When I heard that, I got punched in the gut. I got butterflies in my stomach. You go into a fight or flight mode. And if you want to run away, which means you're really scared because you don't think you have the power to fight. Where does all the energy go? To your hips. Around your kidneys. Here's our problem. In the West, and particularly Western Christians, we don't live a fully embodied life. Because we don't even have a fully embodied consciousness or a language to talk about a fully embodied consciousness. And Jesus, if he was anything, he was God fully embodied. It's the whole point of God made flesh and dwelt among us. Spiritual anatomy. All right. So this this is an Eastern model. Some of you will recognize it. You see the circles there, right? With the person. Those are what they call in the East chakras. Now don't get nervous. A chakra simply means a wheel of energy. The difference is that from an Eastern perspective, from a Western perspective, you've got a mind and a heart. That's it. Right? Or you've got thought and feeling. That's it. Right? From an Eastern perspective, these are all areas of consciousness that exist along the spinal cord, which actually is where life, all of the embodied life, passes through the spinal cord. Everything you do passes through the spinal cord. Because it has to go through the nervous system for you to be embodied. So here's what God did. When God formed the dust, what's He doing? He's building a nervous system. He's forming a container so that He can put a nesama inside of it that can then by the breath, the high, the breath of life, flow down through the energy centers of the human being so that He can become a high nefesh, a living animal, a spiritualized animal. Nah. Alright, so here's what we know about this. This is a map of your consciousness from the East, right? But it fits perfectly. It fits perfectly with what the ancient Hebrews were saying as well. Because watch, in, in, in the higher part, you have the Nesama. So you notice there's seven energy centers. Seven chakras. The higher one is the Nesama. So the top one, opens up off the crown of the head and is where you contact the divine or the Christ consciousness. That's where it comes in. That's why (laughs) when they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts, a tongue of fire rested on their head. It's also why you see in the traditional liturgical churches the bishop wearing the funny pointy hat. Because what the funny pointy hat represents is an opening for the flame or the light of God to come in through what they call in the East the crown chakra. Why? To move its way down the nervous system so that God can once again be manifested in the flesh. Down the spine. So this one, everybody just kind of, if you will with me, just touch the top of your head. This one is God consciousness, awareness of God. Right? Then you have one right here that they call the third eye, right between your eyebrows, right? 
And what they say is that is intuition. That's, that's spiritual sight, spiritual sight and intuition. The ability to know things just because you know them intuitively, because they've been revealed what? Through the God consciousness as it comes in. So it's, in, in our circles we would call it the word of knowledge, the word of wisdom, the gift of prophecy, all that stuff. It's where the spiritual gifts are located. Got it? Then you have one in your throat, and that has to do with what? Speech. So this one has to do with sight, but it's a third eye. It's spiritual sight. So really, when Paul says, let the eye of your mind be enlightened, because really in the Greek, that's what he's saying in the book of Ephesians. Got it? Voice has to do with your ability to communicate and it has to do with truth. So watch what comes from the higher self. Christ consciousness or God consciousness or awareness of God. Intuition and gifts of the spirit and truth. Then you have the heart in the middle. You have seven. Three at the top, three at the bottom, one in the middle. So let's look at the three at the bottom. At the root, at the very base of your spine, at the root, they say that particularly ener- that particular energy center has to do with your safety. Why? Because it's animal-like. It has to do with hunting and gathering. It has to do with protecting from predators. It has to do with finances. It has to do with money. It has to do with physical health. It has to do with protecting yourself from predators and making sure you gather enough to survive. It's a survival instinct. It's the animal survival instinct. The second one is just above the genitals. And it has to do with pleasure. Not just physical or sexual pleasure, but appetite. So... What do animals do? <laughs> do animals go out and think about, is this a moral decision for me to make right now? When your cat is in heat, can you sit down and talk to it about having safe sex? What's going on? It's got an impulse that's driving it, and the tomcat's being driven by impulses, right? Animal nature. We have a little puppy, he wants to eat everything in sight. Good for him, not good for him, it doesn't matter. He wants to chew on it, he wants to eat it. What? Appetite. And then if you try to take his food, what happens? Which brings us to the next one, the third one, power. Safety, pleasure, and the power to obtain those things is what resides within the nefesh. So notice, just like in the beginning, when you had a divide between the heaven and the earth, you have a divide within the three higher chakras of the nesama and the three lower chakras of the nefesh. And what's in that divide? It's the heart chakra. And where does Christ, who is God manifested in the flesh, who makes Everything work and come together. Where does he dwell? In your head? In the heart. So that the balanced human being... So here's what's supposed to happen. The 
energy that is descending from the divine by way of God consciousness, intuition, and truth has to find residence within the heart. And the energies that want to express the need for safety and express the need for pleasure and express power has to move up to meet the divine light in the heart so that the trumpet can sound and the nefesh and the nesema can meet together with the Christ essence and light in the heart so that you work like you're supposed to work. And so here's the problem. If you're not dwelling in your heart, you're out of balance. So what happened to Adam, if you will, it's the energies from the lower self moved all the way up to dominate the energies of the higher self within the body. You see it in Cain? You can look at all the lists of the do's and the don'ts and all the stuff, and you can see that one represents the animal nature out of control. Not loss of expression, loss of connection. Which is where the second mistake comes in. And this is where Christian mystics and mystics all over and Gnostics and even Eastern mysticism misses the mark in some way. And where Christianity has missed the mark. Because what what we've done is we've tried to lose the nefesh and dwell strictly in the nesama. So that it's got to be all God all the time. Or it's just a mental exercise. We just come together and learn facts about the Bible. Think about the advice that people give for life. Do you, do you get any real solid advice in the church or in a book or from a pastor about power, pleasure, and safety? Or are those things always kind of like preached against? Come into church and submit to the pastor so you lose your power. Submit to our vision, our purpose, our plan. Give us your money. Make sure you come. Make sure you support us. And if you're not in church, something's wrong with you. The only pleasure you're allowed is ZD and fried chicken. At the church potluck. Really? Fundamentalists are afraid of sex because they're afraid it will lead to dancing. Right? So watch this. Watch this within the, the Catholic mystical tradition. What they do? They lived in monasteries. They took vows of poverty. We're moving away from the world. We're moving away. And, and the whole idea, there, there, there are whole teachings. You have to totally get rid of the nefesh. It's one of the reasons I don't like talking about the ego. If you start looking at mystical stuff, reading mystical stuff, looking at mystical stuff, you're going to hear a lot of talk about the ego. And by that, they mean the conditioned programming of the lower self 
without connection with the higher self. Did you get that? So it's the nefesh finding full expression through the body without anything coming in from the top. Got it? And so they'll talk about the ego. But they'll tell you you've got to lose it completely. Good luck. And here's the fruit of that. The fruit of that then is, within the, within the mystical realm is, we want to get completely away from the nefesh and just abide in the nesama. We just want to abide in the spiritual realms. We just want to talk about God. We just want to talk about union with God. We just want to pray all day. We just want to fast. Why? Because food comes from that lower. That's too animal-like. So we take a vow of poverty because it's too animal-like. We take a vow of celibacy because it's too animal-like. And we fast so that we can just dwell in the Nesimah. That's kind of the Catholic mystical tradition version of it, right? Priests. Priests take a vow of poverty, take a vow of celibacy, and I suppose they eat. But what about in our own traditions? We dwell in our head. We dwell in our head. In fact, in, in a lot of places, you're told your emotions, your passions, your impulses are all evil. Study the Bible. Read the Bible. Read the Word. you got to stay in your Word every day, because if you don't stay in the Word every day, then the flesh is going to get you. How many of you ever heard that preached? you got two dogs inside of you. The one you feed the most is going to be the strongest dog, and it's going to win. How many of you heard that preached? So it's mental. God consciousness. Now here's the thing. You can also have the gifts of the Spirit because it flows through intuition. And we emphasize truth. So think about everything we're told. you got to just speak the Word, brother. Just keep speaking the Word. Pray and all our prayer is vocalized. Ah, Jesus, Father God, we bless you. So funny, one of my coworkers this week was talking about, she said, there was this, I went to this thing and they were praying and they were saying grace before the meal and they just kept saying Father God over and over again. It's like, Father God, Lord God, Father God, Father God, Lord God. And she's like, I'm like, I think, are you having a conversation? I think God knows who you're talking to. You know, and she doesn't know anything, you know. But so we, we find all these ways to vocalize prayer and, and memorize scripture and make positive affirmations and positive confessions. We never get to the heart. So here's the thing. The dwelling presence of Christ where everything works is in the heart. And you can function as a mystic. And you can function as a charismatic. And you can function as an evangelical. And never get in your heart. Do you know science tells us now you have three brains? Cutting-edge science, you have a brain in your head, you have a brain in your heart, and you have a brain in your belly. You have a brain in your belly. You have a nervous system. In fact, the biggest part of your nervous system, other than in the brain, is in your gut. It's not nefesh. Nesama brought together how? What makes them all work? What Your physical body. Remember I said, if you can understand you, you can understand So how did God build a physical body? He put a consciousness here, He put a consciousness here, and the heart keeps all of it working like it's supposed to. And that's how you're supposed to live. But if you don't know how to find your heart, 
So we want to just tell you all the right and wrong and all the facts that you have to believe and all the doctrines that you have to believe and all that's just in your head. And then we want to activate gifts of spirit and all that's just flowing out of that second wheel of energy inside you. And then we got to make sure we got the truth. So we're all locked up here. Nothing down here. We never make it. Because really, to abide in your heart is the goal. And to abide in your heart, you have to let go of attachments to both. See, mystics will tell you, you've got to let go of all, you've got to get completely rid of the nefesh. You've got to let completely go of your ego. <laughs> you got to let completely go of your identity and self to just disappear and vanish into the, the, the Christ consciousness or the God consciousness or union with God. Right? And abide up here. <laughs> And they don't deal with anything down here. See it? But that's not what God wants. God wants a living nefesh. If you want to know what you are, you are a chai nefesh who has an SMA. So you have a brain in your gut. And so people who don't want anything to do with God, that's all they know. So they're obsessed with making money, with possessing more, with having status. They never get up into the heart. And so the goal is for you to see, you've got to let go. So the, the mystics will tell you, let go of your attachments to everything down here. What they don't tell you is what you end up doing is making all your attachments up here. You just transfer them. And how we are meant to live is actually in the heart and by living in the heart you cannot have too many attachments down here but you also cannot have too many attachments up here you have to let go of the attachments to your spiritual life as well as the attachments to your animal life attachments and then dwell in a completely different state of consciousness that then you can ascend and descend, you can visit both, but you're living from your heart. And Christ is holding it all together and centered in that place. So let me ask you this question, because this is probably the biggest problem for believers. How embodied... Do you feel in your experience in your daily life? How much in your body are you? And how aware are you of what's going on actually in your body? How many of you know when you feel congruent about a decision? Because to live in the heart, you have to live in feeling. Living in the heart is totally different than living out of rationalism. Living in the heart means that you live in feeling. And so when you go to make a decision, instead of just analyzing and doing all the pros and cons and, 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 and all this stuff, what do you feel in your body? When you meet a person, what do you feel in your body? Do you feel good? Do you feel peaceful? Do you feel open? Or do you feel closed? Do you feel something? 
Where do you feel it? It's different for everybody, actually, depending on what's going on. Moment by moment, living embodied, living out of your feelings, thinking about how do I really feel about this? And don't get caught up in emotional language. Anger is not a feeling. Cold is a feeling. Hot is a feeling. I'm get, anger is not a feeling. Anger is an emotion. Anger is a concept. Anger is an idea. It exists only in the mind. Well, you say, I'm sure got hot about that. Now we're sinking our teeth into some feeling description. Shock is not a feeling. I felt punched in the gut. Nervous is not a feeling. Man, my stomach's just going crazy. Butterflies. See it? So the first thing you got to do, very simple. I wish I could give you... A magic wand that will suddenly transfer your consciousness from your head to your heart. You may spend your life doing this. But understand what's supposed to happen is the energy from above is supposed to descend through the mind, through the intuition, through the voice, into the heart where you where you meet. Where the nesama and the nefesh, where the higher self and the lower self meet together and align so that the trumpet sound of your life can come out. And then you raise the energies of safety so that you're not acting like an animal but you realize my God will meet all my need according to his riches and glory. You raise the energy of pleasure so that you can enjoy pleasure without being addicted to it and demanding that you have it. And you can have power that is expressed in a way that does not violate the rights and freedoms and personhood of another human being. All those energies come in the heart. And then you've got God consciousness and truth and intuition. But it's not a dry exercise. It has the very life of God on it. It has the touch of God on it. It brings life and uplifting. That's what happened today in worship. There, there was life. When you guys were making sounds, it didn't matter if you sounded good to yourself or not. It didn't matter whether you knew the words or not. It didn't matter whether you were singing the words or just going, ah. You were making a sound and there was life on it. And it brought the angels and it brought healing and it brought freedom and it brought... You ever get a prophetic word or hear a prophetic word and it, it sounds accurate, but it's just like, ugh. It's not coming from the heart. See, what was happening today was was flowing from the heart. See, when, when what you know about God gets down into the heart and flows out of your heart, then you're loving and you're peaceful, not because you're trying to be, but because it's the reality of the experience of your consciousness. When the gifts of spirit and intuition and things are operating, there's the life of the spirit on it. When there's songs and singing and preaching and truth, the life of the spirit. Don't think to be spiritual you've got to eradicate everything about who you are and dwell just in this upper region. Not what God wants.
finding Him in your heart. And that becomes your internal guidance system. It doesn't become, what's the book say about this? Huh, I don't know. Let's see, what, let's see if we can find this here. I mean, there's a place in Proverbs that says, don't rebuke a fool in his folly, lest he despise you. And then it says right after that, the very next verse, rebuke a fool in his folly, or else he'd be, he'll think himself wise in his own eyes. Well, which one do you do? Which one do you do? You that want to just go by the book. You can't. You get into it and you feel, oh, I better not say anything because this is going to go bad. Or you get into it and you feel, oh, this is a really bad path for this person. If I don't speak up, they're going to think they're going the right direction and be destroyed. And moment by moment, your heart senses and your heart feels and your heart's connected to Christ. And you move through life in harmony and union, enjoying being a living nefesh. And experiencing the wonders of the Nesama. And guess what? You become the Adam in the Adama. You, you bring the Tov. You bring the good. You bring the unification of heaven and earth. And you become a vehicle for the expression of the kingdom of God every moment of your life. Whether you're praying or drinking wine, or having sex, or whatever you're doing, you're harmonized and an expression of the kingdom of God, moment by moment, the fullness of God's creation being celebrated and enjoyed and experienced and touched by the divine in you. Let's pray. Did this help you today? Did this make sense to you? So Heavenly Father, I did my best this morning to deliver what you put in my heart to deliver. I pray for the touch and the life of the Spirit on it, Lord. I pray that a fire would just ignite inside our hearts. Lord, I pray right now that you will help every person through spiritual practices, through meditation, through just studying themselves and knowing themselves and being embodied and being in their flesh and knowing what they're feeling. And just the impartation and the experience of this truth as it goes forth. Lord, help it bring the breath of life into every aspect of who we are. And Father, help us to understand that you want the full maximization of the human being, both the Nesema and the Nefesh, and we don't have to lose one to gain the other because it all comes together in that harmonizing point in the heart. Lead us into the direction of our heart. Lead us into that place where we meet with you, we, the higher self and the lower self, come together and all things are held together by the person of Christ. Father, I ask this for every person, every individual that's seeking truth and knowledge. Thank you for the angelic hosts, the spiritual teams that we all have that are helping us and supporting us and leading us and guiding us. Help us find those connections. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a great afternoon. Thank you for listening. I I hope it was a blessing and helpful. Amen.